fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 27, and boy, there's a lot of news to go over this week. But first, Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm I'm good, man. Um, <laughs> I it, it was being weird. It's been weird being away. But uh, I mean, for those that don't know, it was for pretty uh, pretty good reason. So, yeah. Well, we have a lot of stuff to go over today. Uh, a lot of yeah. kind of movie news, which is always great to talk about. And then for our main discussion, one that I could ramble on for years because it's one that's near and dear to my heart: all-time greatest movie scores. Not soundtracks necessarily, but scores. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. But first of all, I hope you're sitting down because you're going to be doing a lot of it when you see Avengers Endgame. This movie right now, the rumor, the rumored end time for Avengers Endgame will be three hours and two minutes, to which all us Lord of the Rings extended edition fans are just going, meh. Exactly. We're like, oh yeah, is that all you got? <laughs> yeah. Like people are making a big deal of this and just like, we might need an intermission. I'm just like, are, are you serious? Three hours? That sounds about right for a movie this epic. Like, I, oh, I like epic movies with the long run time, so long as the end time is justified. Like, this movie, I'm fine with it being three hours, so long as three hours is the time it needs to tell the story. Exactly. I don't want three hours just because, oh, you know, we want to get some uh, three hours in here because why not, right? Yeah, and I feel like a lot of movies... They have the, like, we need to be two hours or we need to be two and a half hours in order to be taken serious, which is not the case. I've seen plenty of comedies or horrors that would be great as an hour 30, hour 45, but they try to stretch it out. And I I don't think that'll be the case for Avengers, but I just like seeing all these memes of people going, well, so much for my large soda and large popcorn. It's like, okay, really? Is your bladder that small that you can't hold it for three hours? Yeah, and well, and to be fair, like I mean, I've seen movies. Uh, <laughs> I know we talk about it a lot, but like um, How to Train Your Dragon tells a story perfectly paced at like an hour and a half, hour forty-five. So I mean, I don't think I I don't think the time is necessarily the concern here. It's it's that they're using their time accordingly, and they're not just like we need more time to tell our story, even though the ter- the story is terrible. Yeah, we'll see if three hours is just the right amount of time. I think it will be. I just, I think it's funny. Everybody making this big deal about it's three hours and all the Lord of the Rings fans are just going, yeah, welcome to our world. It's just kind of what we deal with. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that people say that, but then they'll go home and binge a a show for all like you know days so they'll just sit there you know what i mean so it's i don't know you mean it's like not us with young justice exactly it's not that big of a deal yeah never again man never again will i binge a show that hard are you sure because uh i would totally do it again i mean that was a pretty unhealthy rate but yeah i'd probably do it again depends on the well, company yeah. and what we're watching yeah exactly now the runtime would be the biggest marvel news had some other stuff not come out this week that's like the best marketing all 
uh, Endgame has done so far. And that's not a slight against them. I've loved all the trailers and whatnot. But this was the smartest thing they could have done, which is they release these, like, character posters of a, just a close-up shot of different characters from the MCU, and they're either in black and white, meaning they've been snapped, or they're in color, meaning they're still alive. And this brings up a whole bunch of different interesting theories now, or shoots down some theories, because certain characters are definitely in black and white, and others are not. So, Josh, did you get a chance to see these posters? And if so, what do you think? I, I got to see most of them. Uh, there was a few I heard that some people saw that I I, I can't seem to find. Uh, I don't know why. I think the most interesting one for me is Ant-Man, which is sad because I was totally hoping he'd be a scroll. We don't know that. Yeah, well. Just like, so... Um, like a week or two ago, Joss Whedon, not Joss Whedon. Oh, wow. Um, oh boy. Uh, the Russos, that's the right director. The Russos said that they may be putting some misleading things into the trailers and the marketing materials. So that's not to spoil anything. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case with these posters actually of you think this person's dusted because it's in black and white, but no. I can kind of see that. I don't know. It, uh, I, but, you, I'm trying to be stay hyped about this movie, but you know, I have not been quiet about my doubts that they're going to be able to pull this off. Yes. Um, certain things did come to light that I was like, oh, wow. Uh, Marvel just called attention to it without calling attention to it. Like um, they show Valkyrie in color. So she survived the snap, which was a big question a lot of people had. So does this beg the question of will Valkyrie show up in Endgame? I really hope she does. She's one of my favorite characters from Endgame. However, these character posters does not give me what I want. And that's answers and clarification. Where is Korg? Hashtag justice for Korg. Korg is the best. Oh, um, what was it? Have you seen the uh, How It Should Have Ended video for um, Infinity War? Yes. Oh my gosh! And at the end with Korg is it's the best. If anybody has not checked that out yet, you are cheating yourself out of, of out of a good time because they make some really valid points. The thing with Korg though is if he's in color or if he's in black and white, you can't really tell the difference. Yeah, exactly. But um, like, it's all in the voice and all in the man, man- mannerisms. There's some other speculation and some people like really reading too deep into it of just like a depending on which way they're facing is whether they live or die. I'm like, okay, that that oh, might be reading a little bit here. too much into it. Um, yeah. Some interesting takeaways that people have brought up that are like interesting are um, Pepper and Happy both are still alive according to these posters because they're in color. But the one that I was like, you may be reading a little bit too much into this. But you might also be onto something because we're at that point in Endgame of we need anything. I'm willing to latch onto any um, nutshell theory. Is in the Vision one, it's in black and white, but there's like a thin line that goes across the text that's in color, almost like um, one of those like heartbeat monitors. Like there's just a sliver of hope that they can bring back Vision. Interesting. Which I'm like that could reveal a lot without revealing a lot. Curse you, Marvel. You're making us, like, micromanage literally everything. And I kind of love and both hate it at the same time. Exactly. It just, I think it's funny to me it's taken them this long to, uh, I don't know, actually be smart with their marketing. 
Well, I get what they're doing. I'm not defending Marvel here, but I am defending Marvel. Of Their marketing up until this point has been focused on Captain Marvel because that's the release that they need to. That's the one that's in theaters now. Now that Captain Marvel has been out for a little bit, you watch, they'll market Endgame very much more heavily. But they don't really need to market it that heavy. Everyone knows when it's coming out. Everyone's going to see it as soon as it comes out. It's going to be yeah. big. There's never been a movie like this before. They and yeah. I, they know that they don't need to market it super heavy. I agree. I, I I and I think and to me that's why I think maybe despite my doubts they're going to pull it off. Um, because Avengers was a movie that had never been done before, and they pulled it off spectacularly. So you know maybe this will work. I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be eating my words here soon. Wouldn't be the first time, nor will it be the last yep. time. Correct. Speaking of eating your words, I really wish this dude would, but I've, I've had this thought for a long time, and I'm being proven now that the DCEU would be a better place once Zack Snyder has left. And apparently somebody that's not too happy with that is Zack Snyder. So earlier this week, he went on this like tirade at some Comic-Con, and the way he came across, it almost seemed like he was a little... I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but... In this, like, interview, he almost kind of seemed intoxicated. Like, he may have been, had a couple before this speech. And what he says during this interview, oh, boy. So, I have a whole rant on this. But before I go into this rant, Josh, do you know what I'm referring to with this old Zack Snyder debacle that's gone down this past few days? So, I've heard of it. I haven't seen the interview. However, um, for whatever reason, I follow Zach on um, Instagram, and he's been posting just wacky stuff on his Instagram oh, for, for weeks. Like, and it's one of those like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Like, so like uh, the 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 story that I've heard is he's been stirring the pot or whatever and saying that his cut of Batman v Superman is a very different movie. Justice League, you mean? Justice League? Okay. Yeah, not Batman I've, v Superman. I've heard, I've seen both. On on Instagram, he was saying, saying uh, his original plan for Batman v Superman was different. So, I don't know, dude. Like, I just, but in general, like, that, that Justice League was fine. Like, I don't know what... Okay, I'll, I'm going to say the thing that n- no one else is saying. The Justice League we got is way better than the Justice League we would have gotten with Zack Snyder. So what okay. happened was he was at this Comic-Con, and I I won't say for a fact that he was, but he kind of gives off the impression that he may have been under the influence of something at the time, which is not necessarily the best look on him if you're at a convention. Uh, but also he kind of comes off as like a angry ex because DC's doing really well now that he's left. But so essentially yeah. what happened is somebody asked him about what his Justice League was going to look like. And it was going to be fulfilling that um, dream sequence that we saw in Batman v Superman of, like, the only Justice Leaguers left are Superman, a beaten down and almost, like, broken cyborg, Batman, and the Flash. And Darkseid's the main villain. Darkseid kills Lois, and that's what makes Superman evil. And Superman would use the anti-life equation to kill Darkseid and become, like... Uh, Superman Hitler that we saw in the Batman v Superman dream scene. And that's when Batman sends Flash back in time 
and that would more or less be the end of the movie is like on a big cliffhanger to which I'm just going, oh no. Are you honestly telling me you'd prefer that over the Joss Whedon reshoots? Dude. So here's the thing with me that I see with that. That is literally the term of, you know, putting all of your eggs down on, throwing them into a basket before you've set the basket down. Because, jeez, dude. Like, I, we get it. You're a nerd. We get it. And, you know, so am I. And, you know, some of that stuff I would love to see. However, you can't just, like, for lack of a better term, blow your load so early. But like, also, you're gonna... he doesn't get the characters. So, before we get into the whole Batman thing, which I have a very, very angry rant on that one. So, yeah, you guys at home getting to listen to Nathan get worked up about stuff, as per usual. But this Justice League story is so far out there. And, like... It really is. He thinks his way is the best way. But... And he comes across very angry and jaded, like, yeah, my movie would have kicked so much butt, and De- and Warner Brothers kind of screwed me over. And I'm just like, no, you made two movies that people really didn't respond to. I love Man of Steel, but I'm not blind. A lot of people hate it. And I can... Yeah. I, while I love it, I can see why people hate it. Batman v Superman, I loathe that movie. It gets so much wrong. And if Bat- and Zack Snyder is right in what he said later in the same interview... Holy crap, I don't want him near a DC movie ever again. Holy crap, this dude went off the rails. He comes across like super pissed and bitter that DC's kind of finding their groove now that he's gone. Like Aquaman did so well. Uh, Shazam, I have seen it. I'm not going to give any spoilers here. But Shazam may even be better than Aquaman. It is fantastic. And it's the exact opposite. There's even a fight without going to spoilers, between the main hero and the main villain, that feels exactly like the Man of Steel one, except what it should have been. It's bright, it's colorful, it's optimistic. You know who the good guy is and who the bad guy is and what their purpose is. It's the And some of the shots in that exactly mirror Man of Steel. You'll know when you see it, Josh. But uh, <laughs> DC is moving forward without Zack Snyder in a positive direction, and I feel like he's kind of butthurt about that. And I've actually said since Man of Steel that DC is in a good place once we move past Snyder, but they've been so hung up on him and he just seems like he can't move on. Like DC is just like, dude, just stop, man. We are moving on in a different direction. You, you can do your stuff. It's fine. Let's just split here. And he just keeps bringing it up. He keeps poking the bear. Like, yeah, guys, there's a Snyder cut out there. Keep bringing up the hashtags. Maybe one day the dicks over at Warner Bros. will let you have the Snyder cuts. Like, what are you gaining from this, Zach? Like, really? Yeah. This is so unprofessional. It really is. And just, like, even that story alone, you're going to have to, first of all, explain all of Darkseid and what he is. Then, you know, oh, look at this, the anti-life equation. Going to have to explain that. Going to have somehow to have an emotionally satisfying turn of, uh, of, of Superman. Like, there's just... So and as we know, he doesn't going. understand Superman. Exactly. Which, okay, and hear me out. If done properly, that turn, I'd be so down for. But Zack Snyder's not the guy to do it. But we had to care about Superman as a hero first before he turns into a villain. And we, so far, Agreed. didn't. The best Superman is from the Joss Whedon reshoots. 
everyone complained about the reshoots, but yes, those reshoots gave us the Henry Cavill Superman that we got at the end. That, to me, is the best thing about that movie. And we oh, wouldn't have got that with that, Zack Snyder. That is Superman right there, man. It is. And people just want the, the best quote I've ever heard about Superman. I saw last week that I was like, yes, Zack Snyder will never get this. People that say Superman is boring are the same people that think being good is easy. Yes. Basically. I was like, dude, that just shook me to my core when I saw this. I was like, yes, that's the fundamental thing about Superman. It's not easy to be good, but he is. And Zack Snyder doesn't get that. So his insanity bag doesn't stop there. So I had a huge issue with how Batman treats criminals in Batman v Superman. Straight up mowing fools down with a machine gun, like snapping people's necks, killing people. And Zack Snyder's more or less just like, yeah. Once Batman kills somebody once, it's all out the window. And he's killed people in previous movies, so why are you getting on my back? He just goes off on the rails, more or less saying, yeah, it's totally fine if Batman kills people. And I'm going, do you know the character at all? This makes no sense. Well, and, okay, so here's the thing. The joke has always been, like, Batman, you, you won't kill, but you'll seriously maim people. So, like, that's, like, that's the idea. So I get where that is, but that you can't go. He, it has to be obvious that he won't go over that line. But Batman v Superman, he blatantly like, oh yeah, blows people up, mows people down with machine guns. And Zach's just like, no. Once he does it once, it's totally fine that he keeps doing it. And I'm sure he doesn't go out of his way to kill people. But if something happens, it happens. I'm like, no, that is not how Batman operates. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's your fan fiction version, but. Maybe that's a big reason why people aren't responding to his movies in the DC universe is they're not the characters people love. And yes, he's going to have this vocal minority that support him. And if you support Zack Snyder in his movies, good for you. We're going to disagree heavily on that, but that's what makes movies great. I just, I've wanted this guy out of the DC universe since Man of Steel. I love Man of Steel, but I knew his direction was not the right one. And I always thought it was a bad idea to put all the eggs in his basket. And now that they're in other people's hands, capable director's hands that are good storytellers, like David F. Sandberg, like Patty Jenkins, like James Wan, he's he's very much coming off like a petty child. And it doesn't look good on him. And I, I'm, I don't know what's going on with him or if he needs to get some stuff sorted out. But it's like, Zach, just, just let it go, dude. Just can we move on? Just like some other people in the DC universe are moving on, apparently. Yeah. So, this is not anything new. We talked about this last week. But Ezra Miller has been having some issues with The Flash. He's been clashing with the directors. He's been flashing with the directors. Actually, that sounds real weird. Um, yeah. He's been, he's been trying to write his version of a script with comic book legend Grant Morrison. That he wants a darker, serious tone, a Zack Snyder tone, whereas the directors want more of a lighthearted tone. And his contract runs up in May. So now it seems like he's going to be gone. That's, keep in mind, this is just a rumor, but the strong rumor right now is, and it's one that I, I do firmly believe in, that Ezra Miller will be out as The Flash. I mean, I love Ezra Miller as an actor. And his flash was not bad. It's not as bad as everybody makes it out to be. Um, just the suit is. The, yeah, it's really just the suit. The suit was bad. But, uh, 
yeah, no, it, if if we if it gets us to be able to move on and get an actual Flash movie and something going, then yeah, let buy Ezra. Yeah, if he's what's holding it up right now, I and I feel like he kind of is. Like Warner Brothers is good enough to not throw somebody under the bus unless it's Zack Snyder, I guess. Um, they're not going to throw Ezra Miller under the bus because they still have to work with him for Fantastic Beast. But I feel like he is kind of what's holding it up right now. And if they kind of move on from him, then we might finally be able to get progress on this Flash movie that's been in development hell for ever. Um, yeah. If that's the case, and if Ezra Miller does leave, any ideas of who you would like to see replace him? And what Anybody would you like to see from Grant. a Flash movie? Anybody but Grant. I swear... I hate that is the one argument that I hate is that people are like the uh, what is Grant Grant Gustin Gra- yeah. Gustin or something like that from the t- the TV show like he's a perfect flat no I I legitimately hate his Flash like that he is not he he's not I don't I, I don't know what it is something about him rubs me the wrong way also that suit is terrible um, yeah it really is but uh, as far as I mean, <laughs> uh, is Zach Efron nailed down on anything yet? <laughs> well, we have a story regarding him later, but there's also talk that he might join um, the Eternals. Was it the Eternals? There's is, there's talk of him, of Zack Snyder joining somebody. Yeah. I forget what the, it is, but he is for sure talk in an art, uh, a news topic that we'll get to in a little bit here. But, um... I don't know if I see Zac Efron as Barry Allen, primarily because Barry Allen is, like, he's a good-looking dude, but he's more average. There's one actor that I'm kind of disappointed he's already in the DC Universe, but there's one actor that I would have loved to have seen as Barry Allen, and that's Chris Pine. Ooh, that would have been great. Because he's blonde. I I, I will say, I almost feel like you do need to stick with the the tall, lanky kind of flash. Um... Just because, like, that was the uh, to me always the kind of thing about him was he he's fast, he's not strong, and so like yeah. he does have to be careful. Um, ooh, ooh, what if now they're for the Matt Reeves Batman? They're going with like a ninety, so throwback. What if? We still have it in the same timeline, but it's not Barry Allen. The great thing about speedsters in the DC universe is there's never just one. What if we transition away from Barry? So, like, uh, Ezra Miller's Barry still exists in the universe, but we don't see him anymore. It's now Wally West Flash. Interesting. So that would be a way to retcon him into the universe. Yeah, I can see that. Or just get rid of, like, regular adult Flash completely and, uh, I don't know, make a Teen Titans movie with Impulse. I could I could see of all the Flash scenarios of what to do with Ezra Miller, I think the easiest case scenario would just be like, hey, Barry Allen is still around, he's doing his thing, but the Flash we will be focusing on is just somebody else, whether that's Wally, yeah. my personal boy of Jay, I would love to see Jay Garrick. Yeah, I, I, would, I can see that. I can totally see that. Um, it's an easy out, and I well, think that's crap, the route they'll just, go with. Yeah. No, just start with Jay. Just do the normal story. Start with Jay. Let him teach uh, Barry Allen. You know, bring Barry on. Don't even have Barry in the movie. 
like until the end when he's like, uh, you know, he's talking to somebody and he's like, hey, I want you to meet, you know, a friend of mine named and this is Barry, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? I, it was just like there's a simple way to to bring him in. But yeah, totally start with Jay. I'd be so down with that. Have it. You could even go an Ant-Man route with it. Oh, yeah. And have that, would, that would work really well. Jay be the original. I I would love, I want this Flash movie to just start already. I love the Flash, and I want a good Flash movie, and I just want progress more than anything else, and it doesn't seem to be happening. Um, by far the weirdest piece of movie news over the past few days, and it's not even movie news, it's just news, I guess, but Apple will be launching their own streaming service. I think this is a horrible idea. I mean... I don't mean, I don't, <laughs> part of it's like, I mean, everybody else is, so why not? But at the same time, like, what are you, what are you going to bring to the table? Like, everybody's That's got the their question. Own. Yeah, what content are they bringing to the table? Everybody, everybody's got their thing. Uh, Netflix has Stranger Things, really good documentaries, and they're starting to get better original programming. HBO has Game of Thrones, and we'll milk that for all it's worth. Hulu has yeah. Handmaid's Tale? The Runaways, they have... Great original stuff. Disney's going to have a boatload of original content. What are you going to bring to the table, Apple? Yeah. Especially with no um, with no experience in that field. Not just no experience, but also they're coming to this whole streaming party really, really late in the game. Yeah, they really are. Like... The, the streaming is already a really big thing, and people are already kind of getting frustrated of another streaming service. Like, yeah. the only reason I think people are excited for Disney is because of how much content will be there. If it wasn't Disney, I don't think people would be as excited or be willing to shell out an extra $10 a month for another yeah. streaming service. Like, for exactly. me personally, I have um, the WWE Network. I have YouTube Red. I have Netflix. I have... Uh, a couple different streaming services that all add up really quick. PlayStation View, they all start to add up. And if you keep getting little pieces, it it just gets really expensive. I don't know if Apple necessarily has anything that they're going to bring to the table that gets me interested, at least. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, 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 in at least now, you can kind of be like, all right, so all of these companies have their own service. So it really becomes a loyalty thing of like, okay, which ones do, am I mo- most concerned with concerned with in my life? So, you know, like for the most part, you can do just Hulu hit Disney and get the DC streaming service and, you know, do WWE and you're kind of set. Yeah. Well, if anybody knows anything about loyalty, it's Apple and Apple fans. So they'll at least have, like, those diehard Apple people that are just like, yeah, I know it's not very good, but I'll still support it anyway because it's an individual choice I'm making. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. It, it's, it seems pointless to me. Just like most of what Apple does. Yeah. Well, I'm actually excited about this next piece of news. Not, like, super excited, but I'm just like, yeah. Let's actually have some progress on this and move this out of development hell. Bill and Ted 3 is actually happening, finally. And it's coming out next year. Yeah, like, I mean, I personally didn't 
not really grow up with the first two. I think I've seen oh, them. Oh, same. Maybe I've once. seen them. I just didn't grow up with but, them. I've seen them. I like them. They're fine. Yeah. I think it's going to be really funny to have, you know, in the same calendar year, um, John Wick 3 and... <laughs> John Wick 3 is this year and then Bill and Ted is, is it next really? year. Okay. Well, but still... That's hilarious to me that these things could exist in our in, in our, our our lifetime. So if the rumored premise is true, I will be so down for it. So, uh, you have you seen the original Bill and Ted's? It's been a long time. But essentially, you know that like they need to graduate so they can become like these sentient rock gods, right? Yeah. So the rumored premise that I've heard for Bill and Ted Three is. It's them in their current ages of, like, mid-40s, mid-50s, and they still haven't written that hit song yet. And they're kind of, it's beginning to hit dawn on them of, maybe we screwed something up and we aren't the rock gods that Rufus said we were. Yeah. To which okay, that like sounds that. really funny. Oh, totally. I, I also heard a premise where they get their daughters involved or something like that. Huh. I, I don't remember. I, maybe it, it, maybe it was not this movie that I'm thinking of, but yeah. Just don't mess with Keanu's dog. Yeah. Speaking of Keanu's dog. Yeah, that's a perfect segue right there. We had a oh. John Wick 3 trailer drop a couple days ago, and if you weren't hyped for this movie before, you are now. Holy cow, this is awesome. Yeah, so I think what we are, uh, what you and I have been theorizing is is true. I think he was uh, uh, him going after the Russian mob after they killed his dog is what is bringing about all of these events. Yep, it's like they all they basically did everything but confirm it in the, in this new trailer. Yeah, what the biggest takeaway for me from this trailer was that made me go, Oh, interesting was I had, I was under the impression that it was basically him by himself in this of like one man versus the world. And that was it. The trailer kind of makes it seem like there's like this time window of you have to kill John wick by this time or he's safe type of impression. That's at least what I got of like someone asked, what if he makes it out? I'm like, is there a loophole of like make it to this location or make it survive till this time, no matter what, and you're safe? But also, it seems like he's going to have some support. Like in John Wick yeah. 2, the owner of the Continental said he couldn't help. But in the trailer, it seems like he and the um, concierge at the front of the hotel are offering him assistance, like, which more or less confirms to me that those two guys are dead for helping him. Um, yes. But. It seems like he act, he will at least have some allies before he takes on the rest of the world. And I, I like yeah. that. I like those characters. So I'm I'm okay with them helping him out. And then Halle Berry with the dogs. Oh, dude. Oh, it's great. I'm excited. Honestly, this is the coolest Halle Berry I think we've ever seen. Yeah. I'm excited. Everyone just seems this. so perfectly cast in this. I agree. And, um... The fact that the two guys are helping him suggests to me as well that, uh, again, confirming one of our theories that maybe John was set up as well and that they know it. And so they're trying to help him get out of this so he can get revenge. Yeah. 
Either way, I'm so hyped for this. I love the color palette. It reminded me a lot of the fist fights from Skyfall, like the one in the hotel. Yes. yes. Well, I like, I'm okay with that. I love the color palette in Skyfall. I think Skyfall has some of the most gorgeous cinematography for any action movie I've seen in recent memory. And the cinematography in John Wick is no different. Like, there's not quick cuts. There's that one great shot in the trailer of, like, when he's fighting on the horses and he takes out two guys to his left and to his right, but there's no cut there. Like, the camera just follows yeah. the action. I'm like, oh, this is fluid. It's clear. I can see what's going on. This is, yes, this is why I like John Wick. Yes. And what's interesting to, to watch is, if I, I might need to go back and watch these to confirm, but the color palette in each movie is different. Yeah, a little bit. Ever so slightly. And I just... It, the John Wick series is the unsung hero of action movies right now. Like, because yes. the first one like came out and everyone was like, "This is gonna be stupid," and it ended up being absolutely, absolutely amazing. Because admittedly, the premise is dumb. Of you killed my dog, I'm gonna kill everyone. But it ended up being amazing, and I actually like the second one more than the first one for the world building that it does. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the first one does a really good job of being – it's not just like, you killed my dog, like how dare you. It's like, my dead wife gave me this dog and you killed it for no reason other than you wanted my car. Like that – oh, that's good stuff, man. It's just – it's good stuff all the way around. Now, if he does survive, I want a John Wick versus Jason Bourne. If they can figure out a way to connect those worlds, like go I'm, – I'm all down. So, as great as the John Wick 3 trailer was, there's a yin and then there's a yang. And the yang, in this case, is the Dora the Explorer trailer. And I wish those words hadn't come out of my mouth. What the crap was that? So, first of all, were you aware that this movie was being made? Yes. Okay, I had no clue. The thing was, like, I said this at work a couple days ago, and my manager was just like, no, that's that's not a real thing. Are you sure you didn't see, like, a college humor skit? Because it is a college humor skit of, like, Michael Bay directed Dora the Explorer. And I think Michael Bay is a producer on this movie, so everyone keeps thinking it's fake. And the trailer for this looks fake. But no, it's a real movie that's actually coming, and Danny Trejo is voicing Boots. So um, I'm actually super down for that because that's kind of awesome. Not going to lie. But, um, however, okay, tell me that, that you didn't alone... think the rest of the trailer looked awful. Okay, so here's the thing. At first, the part where she gets sent to school or whatever with the lame Diego who doesn't share her, her love of exploring. First of all, I can't believe I'm saying these words that they got Diego wrong but <laughs> they got everyone saying, wrong. Everyone's like 10 uh, years too old. Well, but so it, it makes sense that, you know, the idea that they're going off, her parents are going off and she, they're like, they're like, you're, you're a kid. You can't come with us. You we're going to send you to school with your, with your cousin. Um, first of all, Diego, it doesn't give off this vibe of like, I'd love to explore as well, blah, blah, blah. And it does all, they play it decently that like yeah dora going from the jungle world into this 
modern world would be really weird. However, she's too cartoony. She's like exactly what she she literally is exactly what she is in the show, which is really weird. She's um, too also, for me, she's too old. It's just she's not Dora the Explorer. It's Tomb Raider meets Legends of the Forbidden Temple. Yep. And um, let's be real here. She legitimately falls four stories down a down a crevice, and it's just like I'm all right. I'm like, no, you're you're dead. You are legitimately dead. Don't don't even play. Yeah, uh, it just looks so wrong. Like it just looks like a made for TV movie, but it's getting released theatrically. Yes. Well, and having the random girl be like, of course she knows the monkey. Of course, blah, 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 blah. I was like, dude, you, if you're going to sell this movie, you're gonna, you need to go all the way. You need to go balls to the wall. And having this negative voice that is legitimately just the voice of the audience at this point, like in your movie, it's not funny. It doesn't work. And then you have Django Fett as the bad guy? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm down. Why not? <laughs> okay I watched some Dora the Explorer growing up I don't remember it super well But I'll be ticked If Jango Fett as the main villain Has a pet fox named Swiper And he uses the No 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 I, To me if there's not a fox in this movie Named Swiper that steals things I'll be upset and Oh I no! Can't I, believe, if you have Swiper, I can't believe I'm pet. saying that Oh I just can't believe I'm saying these things it's just why so much wrong with this? Yeah, and I Who can't thought believe this is we're a good idea. Who is this movie for? I mean, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Honestly, <laughs> well, I, can't I can't believe, believe we're about to have a conversation. We're upset. That, I can't believe I can't we're believe... about to have a conversation about Zac Efron as Fred from Scooby Doo. I mean, I, I I I don't see how that's that that's a better idea than a, than Dora the Explorer. Yes, so. I, when I first saw this story, everyone got all worked up. They're just like, oh, Amanda Seyfried is Daphne and Zach Efron is Fred. First of all, calm thyself, actually do your research, and you'll realize that they're not doing it live action. They're doing it animated. It's going to be an animated movie that they're voicing these characters. Second of all, what's wrong with them playing those characters in live action? Yeah. Like, like honestly, honest, I was super down for them to, to do that live action. On, because Zac Efron, believe it or not, I think would be a great Fred. The stereotypical Fred from the 60s and early 70s, Zac Efron would be perfect for. The early Fred before they decided to give him depth in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yes, I know my Scooby-Doo's very well. Fred was an incredibly <laughs> shallow, misogynistic, and egotistical character that made everything about himself and had no character depth whatsoever. He was just there to be the pretty-looking dude. And Daphne was even worse. Exactly. So, the big question is, because both of those voices in Zac Efron and Amanda Seyfried, to me, are perfect. That's fine. I'm, I'm so down with that. The big question is going to be, and this is hilarious, this news comes out after the Shaggy memes, is who's going to voice Shaggy? Yeah, actually, we do know who's playing who will be voicing shaggy is will forte the one that i'm actually most curious is scooby and there's only one right answer for who's voicing scooby oh who's the what's the right answer matthew lillard (laughs) 
So I'm, I'm actually no. He should well. be voicing Shaggy. He's not voicing Shaggy, but he should be because Matthew Lillard is Shaggy. He's been he voicing Shaggy is. for like 15, 20 years now. I mean, and you know, it's fine, I guess. Like, you know, you want a new generation to have a new voice, I guess. But same time, like, it's like if uh, Conroy doesn't voice uh, Batman, like, it just feels weird. That's a good segue. You're on a roll with segues today. I am. Because, so, this news troubled Josh and I when we first saw it. DC Animation has been rolling out more or less two or three animated films a year for quite a few years now. And there's one project that has been coming out, that will be coming out, called Batman Hush. We've been excited for a really long time about this one. Hush is one of my all-time favorite comic book story arcs. And they've already ruined it. And boy, do I sound like an entitled fan right there, but I don't care. So, they released this first picture... And a picture is worth a thousand words if ever that sentence has been more applicable than this. So, um, they've been going with a certain animation style in these uh, newer DC animated films. Like Justice League War, Son of Batman, Batman vs. Robin. Um, Very much like the New 52 art style. Which is not the art style of Batman Hush. Batman Hush was made before the New 52 However, they're going back to that art style and kind of shoehorning in the story of Hush into this current timeline of DC animated stuff. And it doesn't really make sense. The art style doesn't match up. The timeline doesn't match up. And there's characters that will be in this movie that aren't in the actual Batman Hush storyline, like Damian Wayne. And bringing it back to Kevin Conroy, he has been advocating him and Mark Hamill, the voice of Joker, have been wanting to do this movie forever. And they're not coming back for this movie. They got passed over for somebody else. And I just think that's a slap in the face to Conroy, who's been voicing Batman for over 25 years. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm looking at the cast right now, and I'm just not impressed at all, man. I mean, Jason Momoa isn't bad as, as Batman. Oh, no, I he's hate just... his Batman. Yeah? Okay. Well, I think see... he's my least favorite Batman of all time. Fair. More so than Beware the Batman, more so than anything else. I hate his Batman. Okay, well, did you see who's voicing Lex Luthor? Uh, I did, but I forget who it is. It's Rain Wilson. Dwight. <laughs> he's done it before. Really? I didn't know this. Yeah, it's either All Star Superman or Superman Unbound. One of those. He's he's voiced Superman. He's voiced Lex Luthor before. That, oh, that's okay. That's a surprise. But I like that. All right, cool. Yeah, no, it's. It, I agree. You you can't. It's it's really hard to not have Kendall. Excuse me. I got a stuffy nose. Um, not have Conroy come back for especially for this. Like it's Batman Hush. It's one of the biggest story Batman stories ever like and he's been personally asking for it when fans ask him at conventions what's the one Batman story you'd like to do he's like oh Batman hush for sure hush in the killing joke well at least he got to do killing joke at least it just doesn't make sense why they're shoehorning it into these animated movies that aren't necessarily the most well received with each passing animated movie I think fans myself included are getting more and more annoyed of like okay The New 52 ended quite a few years ago. Why do we keep sticking movies 
in this time period with this animation style. Yeah, it, it just doesn't look as good as it could. The, it's okay it doesn't to look go as good. The voice time. acting is much more bland. The storytelling isn't as good. And they're just shoehorning stuff in that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, I'm done with I'm done with negativity for now. I'm ready to gush about music. And yay. This is one of my favorite topics because I listen to movie scores all the time. I listen to it just in my free time of just whenever I'm bored, just movie scores. If I'm doing stuff around the house, doing random chores, or just to have it on, I can have movie music for any mood because I love film scores so much. Before we go into that, Josh, do you have a sponsor? We haven't done sponsors in a week, in a while. I know. Yeah, dude. Um... You got any bad sponsors for this week? Bad sponsors? Uh, I mean, no. do we ever have any good ones? I mean, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Uh, the sponsor for this week is Salad, ruining my life one day at a time. It's not easy being green? No, it's terrible being green. It, I hate every second of my life right now. You know what is green, though? Uh, a wallflower, which is on your uh, list. It is on my list, and wallflowers aren't green. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they're human-colored. <laughs> um, so, perks of being a wallflower, for it, for those who keep up with the show, um, <laughs> it is, I have not been quiet that, that I love this movie, um, but this the soundtrack for this movie is fantastic. There's still songs that I'll hear because I, you know, I save tons and tons of music to one playlist, and every now and then a song for that movie will pop up, and just instantly I will see that scene. So it, it, to me, this this the music from that movie puts you in the world that the characters are in, which is all what all good soundtracks and movie scores do. To me, the best movie soundtracks not only put you in the world, but they help the story, like. When I'm listening to one that we have on both of our lists, we have a couple movies that both of us have on our list, like Star Wars, you can listen to the music and still get the story. Like, if you know what to listen for in a good movie score, you get the story more fully. Like, leitmotifs of this music represents this character or this theme of the film. And I love that in filmmaking of you hear this music of a character that's not necessarily in the scene, but is mentioned, or um, there's a great podcast that I listen to called, called The Soundtrack Show that more or less breaks down movie music and how it helps tell the story of like, hey, this music isn't complete. Why is that significant? Because the character's not complete in this moment. So I love when movie music is able to do that, and especially Star Wars does that just as well, if not better than anybody else. John Williams is just the best. Star Wars music is the one above all. Oh, yeah. And it's really funny because, you know, I was going through my list, and I had to stop for a little bit, but I was going through my list of, like, you know, some of my favorite soundtracks, and I started noticing a lot of them are John Williams soundtracks. Oh, yeah. I had to narrow it down of like, okay, I have to like more than at least one song because John Williams has some really good stuff, but it'll be like the main theme to Indiana Jones or something else. I'm like, okay, I need something that has a good soundtrack from like head to toe type of thing. And to me, Star Wars absolutely does that. Even when it reached its lowest points of the prequels, name a bad 
score piece from the prequels. Like the prequels are, have some of the best music that's just on par with the original trilogy. Like Duel of the Fates, tell me you can't rock out to Duel of the Fates. You can't rock out to Duel of the Fates. <laughs> Liar. I, Duel of the Fates totally is so good that, spoiler alert, when certain characters show up again in Star Wars Rebels, they bring back the Duel of the Fates theme. Yeah, Star Wars has some of the best storytelling music of, like, you can just listen to the music and you could still get what's happening of Luke's theme, the Force theme. Oh, the Force theme. To me, I grew up loving Duel of the Fates as my favorite Star Wars song, but as I got older, I think Binary Sunset has to be my favorite um, Star Wars score of when he's looking at the two sons and wistfully thinking about adventures that he would love to have. I think that's the best music because in that you completely understand the character's motivation. You get behind the character more than ever before. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, because star Wars music does that. You if you've seen the movies and you know, the music by heart for the most part, that that scene hits and the music hits and you see the scene in your head. And not only that, you feel the scene in your head and just i still get goosebumps when that music hits oh yeah star wars is one of those of just like no matter what track it is you know exactly what scene it's from because the music is so well done you've seen the movie so many times it's just so perfect john williams was absolutely the right man to do it for star wars even the worst times in star wars has fantastic music except for maybe rogue one i don't really remember any of the music from rogue one um, yeah, I don't either. But to be fair, that <laughs> wasn't John Williams. And, and to be fair, like, it, it's hard. That type of movie is hard to have themes for everyone. It's more like a, that wasn't really a character movie uh, in a sense. In that, you know, that when you go and see one of the trilogy movies, you know certain characters are going to be important. You know they're going to have their own theme. Whereas you go into Rogue One, you already know everybody's going to die. So there's no point in writing themes for certain people. True. Um, Another one that we have on both of our lists that I feel is just absolutely on the same level of Star Wars of the music helps tell the story in really interesting and complex ways is Lord of the Rings. Not The Hobbit. Music is just okay. However, I I think... It's weird nitpick. I think the Hobbit soundtrack is better than Lord of the Rings, but the Lord of the Rings has a better score, if that makes yeah. sense. No, I'm with you. I, I feel you. Because the Hobbit has um, that great Ed Sheeran song. It has uh, the Misty Mountains song by the uh, by the dwarves. Uh, it has that really good song that um, Pippin sings at the end of Battle of the Five Armies. But the score for Fellowship... For the score for just the original Lord of the Rings trilogy will not be top. That music is phenomenal. Absolutely. And there's, I don't know how to explain it, but the Lord of the Rings music gets to me. Like I can play that in any situation and just either calm down or I break down or what have you. Like that, the score for the OG trilogy just gets me. It's because it has such varied music that fits for all kinds of emotions. You have the calm and peaceful um, fellowship music, like um, the Shire music. 
but then you have the great adventure questing music, and then you have the really sad, somber Grey Havens music, and then you have May It Be. It's just so varied, and I saw a really great video that explains the power of the Lord of the Rings score of how it helps tell the story of using different scenes from Fellowship of the Ring of when the characters themselves are broken off and doing different things, um, the music itself is never whole because the unit as a whole is not together. So it'll have different pieces like the horns or the strings, but it won't have the rest of the orchestra. But when the whole Fellowship is together at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring and they start making their way to Mount Doom that's when you have the music all together because they're all yes. together. And it's stuff like that that makes me love film score because it tells the story and your brain realizes it's telling the story, but it doesn't at the same time. And I love that so much. Well, yeah, and even just something as simple as you open up in the Shire and the Shire is this happy place and the Hobbits are these carefree people and the music that's playing is very bouncy, very carefree and you just you play it and you just feel like, yeah, I'm walking down the street saying hi to my friends and I'm about to go get a you know a jug of mead or something at, down at the pub with my buddies that I've known for my entire life. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it's the simple things in, in, that, in that score. And then when they bring back that theme for the Shire at the end of the second one and then when they finally have destroyed the ring it just makes everything come full circle and you're just like ah the peaceful time in the troubled time type of thing yes absolutely in in all ways the music should evolve and it should convey the emotion and the growth that the characters go through and a lot of a movie series that has done this very well is next on my list which is I can't talk about this movie, these movies enough, is How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah, but you do love those movies. I do, I do, but like, I think I'm very justified in that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, if you, I, I recently did this at, at work. Um, don't ask me why. I was just being nerdy, I guess. Um, but I literally listened to, to the soundtrack for one, two, and three back to back to back. And you can legitimately hear the growth and the the maturity working through the entire all three movies to po- to the point where the main theme of of the series is consistent throughout. But there's something added. There's something bigger about each time they bring it back in each movie. Hmm. That's. That's good scoring right there of showing growth, showing maturity, showing storytelling. You don't necessarily have to have words to tell or even visuals to tell a good story. That, that's why music is so fantastic. How to Train Your Dragon is one of those great um, non-Disney animated movies that has fantastic score. I have one on my list too that I think is one of the most underrated film scores in movie history. It's so gorgeous. The Prince of Egypt. Yes. Ah, there's okay. Even from a non-religious standpoint, the Prince of Egypt is an underrated movie as a whole. Gorgeous animation, gorgeous music. Jeez, I mean, I don't even have to mention the the bush scene. That's that's what I always think of is the soundtrack, the score in particular for the Burning Bush when. God calls to Moses from a burning bush. That is some of the most calming yet affirmative and positive 
scores you can have, except for maybe one other that I'll get to later on my list. That's one of the most. I agree. But even in that, let's just take that scene alone in the burning bush scene. It, the music is so complex because of the, and the, the emotions that that scene contains, because it does, it starts off very calm and very alluring, but still like confident and, and positive. And it goes into it and it's very, he's like, the music itself is flowing with the words that, that God is saying. And he's very, very like, Hey, like I want, I want you to do this for me. And then it doesn't even build it. It just blows the doors off the hinges when Moses doubts him. But it does it in a way that's not negative. And I don't understand how they came up with the, these tones, but the way that the music transitions from calming positive to just this aggressive positive. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, you it's so hard to explain because, yeah, it does get louder. It gets bigger, but it's still like it's affirmative. It's powerful, but it's still like a yes, I'm here, but it's a good thing I'm here. Like it's it's really hard to explain. Like it goes from quiet and soothing to powerful and soothing at the same time. It's so I've never felt anything similar to that in terms of music than the burning bush scene. And just as across the board, Prince of Egypt has such good music. And oh, I feel absolutely. like it's really underappreciated musically. It, it, to me, and <laughs> this is a whole other conversation for a whole nother day. But when movies are, when Christian companies are trying to make a, a movie, they need to look at Prince of Egypt as an example. Mm-hmm. Just across the board, not um, the what was it, Joseph one? Not that one. Look no. to Prince no, no, of no, Egypt. No. Yes, we don't talk about Joseph. Yeah. Now I have another one that's really underrated. I think in terms of soundtrack. The funny thing is, if you listen to the score, if you listen to it for any length of time, I'm sure you could pick it up, but you just don't realize that you can pick it up, and that's why I think it's really underrated that more people realize this music than you think. But also. I've seen this movie more than almost any other movie just because it's always on, and it's one of my favorite adventure movies. National Treasure's score is fantastic. Oh, National Treasure is, in fact, a national treasure. It's because Cage <laughs> and Riley. Well, the, the movie itself is underrated. I mean, I don't think I have to say, I don't think I've ever met anybody that doesn't like na- the fir- at least the first National Treasure. Yeah, some people are kind of on the fence about the second one, but... I've never met anybody that doesn't like the first National Treasure. The score is is fantastic, and you know what i I would stand behind you on your point that I I probably know the score. I just don't know that I know it because it it's sneaky. It, it just kind of hangs out in the background, but still does its job perfectly. It's great adventure music. Like you hear it, and you're like, "Oh, this is National Treasure music." But you yes. don't like you couldn't just hum it off the top of your head unless you're me who listens way too much to movie scores, but. Like, if you just heard it on the radio, you'd be like, first of all, why am I hearing this on the radio? What channel do I have this on? And then you'd be like, wait, that's National Treasure. I know this. This is great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've had a couple. Josh, what what other ones are on your list? Um. So I think we uh, – I kind of clumped a bunch of them together, um, obviously. 
because of the whole John Williams thing, I didn't feel comfortable with picking out any one Pixar movie because Pixar as a whole has some of the best scores and best music in movies, period. I I actually feel confident picking out one Pixar movie in particular that has oh, really? the best uh, that has the best score. It may surprise oh, really? you. What do you what do you, what would you say would be my pick for the best score? Um, I think Up would be a good candidate. Um, Finding Nemo is a good candidate. Um, those would be my main two. Yeah, it's Finding Nemo for me. That's oh, gorgeous. Dude. The Finding it's, Nemo theme. Oh, it. So Ben, my brother, was growing up. He was re, he was fantastic at piano. Okay. And so the two themes that he learned how to play were the Finding Nemo theme and the main up theme. And legitimately, those two, like, I could just listen to. They're easy to listen to. They 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 make you feel things that you're not sure what they are. Emotion. You feel emotion. It's I don't just... know what emotion is. I'm a cold-hearted killer. Yeah. <laughs> but... but... Finding Nemo, I love the score because it's Thomas Newman, who's done some fantastic stuff. He's got one of my favorite movie scores of all time, which I'll get to in a little bit here. But he also did the music for Saving Mr. Banks. Phenomenal music. Uh, He's done quite a few other things besides that, but Thomas Newman has done some great music, and I love his work. Finding Nemo, I think, is my favorite Pixar score. Toy Story is fine. I could pick out any scene in Toy Story just by the music. That being said, I think the score is just okay. Yeah. Uh, Monsters, Inc. would be another one that's sneaky on how good its score is. Monsters, Inc. and Incredibles both, I feel like, are oh, so yeah. unique in their tone and their style that you can immediately pick out what it is. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's see I like what that else high tempo jazz. Yeah, exactly. Inc. Well, and like even Incredibles is that's the thing about Incredibles is that the and really Pixar's in general, all the scores are very unique and very fitting to that film. Yes. Now. As much as I love Pixar, there's another Disney movie that, while it has a great soundtrack, I think the score is just as good, if not better, and its live-action remake better live up to it. Lion King. (laughs) Yes. Because, and I think it will, because the music for the original Lion King was scored by the phenomenal Hans Zimmer, and I'm here to tell you some good news. He is coming back for the remake. Which begs the question, does he just redo the music and do a note for note? No, I think he makes it bigger and better. Oh, I I can... It's Hans Zimmer, dude. Yeah, he's... In my opinion, John Williams and Hans Zimmer are some of the smartest musical minds when it comes to to, uh, theatrical music. Oh, yeah. But, like, this land in particular, that track in the score is so good. Or King of Pride Rock, when Simba finally reclaims the throne and ascends um, the throne, uh, whatever the rock is. Is it just Pride Rock? Yeah, when he ascends Pride Rock to be king, the music for that, or um, the music 
when he talks to his the spirit of his father. Just the music for all of Lion King is good. Like, yes, the stuff with lyrics is, is really good and really memorable. Akuma Matata is great. Can you feel the love tonight? Great. But the score is just as powerful. Absolutely. So it's then so I, have, I have a question for you then. So when we have movies that, like Tarzan, that are mostly just songs sung by Phil Collins, is that a soundtrack or is that a score? That's a soundtrack. Okay. Cause score I, is more I, like the instrumental stuff, like your um, the difference between Inception and Guardians of the Galaxy. Cool. Okay. I, okay. 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 I can totally see that. All right. I understand that now. Because yeah. I mean, I would say that that Tarzan has one of the most memorable memorable soundtracks. Then, but yeah, oh, we're yeah. talking about as does Brother Bear. Any Phil Collins uh, Disney movie? Bro, oh, I wouldn't do any. But because he he did Brother Bear was the point where he started to kind of not get as good. Well, but, his soundtrack was still good. The movie just wasn't as good. Fair. But oh. You know what movie it has a fantastic score that I can't I I don't think about it until I see it. Oh. Spirit. I haven't seen Spirit in a long time. Dude, Spirit, first of all, underrated movie. The fact that the main character is a horse and doesn't actually talk is fantastic. The whole con- the whole movie is fantastic, but the score it, it again, I think the running theme here is it fit the tone fits what the the movie's about, hmm. and it's about being wild and free. And the music makes you feel that way as well. Speaking of feeling, I'm amazed we've gotten this far without talking about one of my all time favorite movies and one of my all time favorite movie scores, Halloween. <laughs> that is true because even uh, the score of a movie is perhaps even more important in a horror film than it is in really other other movies. Oh, absolutely. And the funny thing is with the Halloween score, like a, a lot of people, most normal people at least, will be like, oh man, this music's creepy. I'll listen to it during Halloween. I'm like, nah, man, that's the exact opposite. This, movie, this music calms me. This music makes me happy. This music relaxes me. I listen to this all year round. Yeah, exactly. It's... It, <laughs> Horror, mu- horror movie music is, is exactly what it does. It, it does its job, or it has to do its job better than really any other film. Oh, yeah, and Halloween is just the best. You have the main theme, but then you have Laurie's theme, the shape stalks. Um, just in general, I love the Halloween soundtrack, the Halloween score, I mean. So much so, and I'm that much of a Halloween mark, that I have all the Halloween scores on my phone to listen to whenever because I love the music so much. Absolutely. Now, I have two more. One is kind of broad and one more specific. That's my favorite, but I'll get to the broad one first. We love Marvel movies. Well, at least one of us does. However, since day one, I've always said DC does music thousand times better than Marvel. And the DCEU absolutely kills Marvel in the score game, dating back to Man of Steel. Oh, Man of Steel, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, even Shazam has some really good musical cues. As a whole, as much as I love the Avengers theme and how epic it is, 
that's kind of their only big score. Everything else is just kind of there in the background. Whereas DC, oh, that's got some fantastic music. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be fair, um, the Avengers theme is fantastic. But really, like, that's its only really big movement. Yeah, and even then, they use it sporadically, so which is a good strategy. So that way, when the music does play, it feels big and feels epic. But... You got to admit, that Man of Steel theme, what are you going to do when you aren't saving the world? As much as the classic Superman, Christopher Reeves theme is great, the Man of Steel theme is great too. But then you also have the great music from Justice League when they had little bits of cues of the original Batman theme and a little bit of the Superman theme, the Wonder Woman theme, the music for Aquaman when he comes out from underneath the waterfall or when he comes riding in, spoiler alert, on the gigantic squid thingy. Like, yeah, it, I like in DC that people have character themes. You can tell they have light motifs. They have things you can tell who the character is just by the music. Marvel doesn't do that for some reason. Yeah. And it's just... It's terrible. Yeah. D- DC, I just will put on the scores just because I like the music. I can't say that about a single Marvel movie of, hey... I'm going to put this sound, this score on. Not really. Whereas, oh yeah, I'll totally put on No Man's Land from Wonder Woman. That's epic. Um, Anything from Man of Steel. Um, Some stuff from Justice League. Aquaman. I still listen to the Aquaman soundtrack. That's phenomenal. Oh, it is. It's, It's incredible. And it's incredibly unique. Yes, everything sounds different. Whereas Marvel, a lot of it sounds very homogenized, a very same of, can you just play a little bit of this? Can you honestly tell what movie it's from? Probably not. Yeah. Now, do you have any others before I get into my all-time favorite movie score? No, I I don't think so. Like, I could probably find some if I thought sat here and thought about it, but I, uh, you know, I'm not much of of a, of a thinker. <laughs> yeah, I could talk about this all day, but to me, there's one. Above anything else, except for maybe Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, which I could listen to those any time, there's only one other movie score that I could listen to all day for the rest of my life and still wouldn't get sick of it. The Shawshank Redemption. Fair enough. The music from The Shawshank Redemption tells the story like no other movie score can. It's dark and depressing but at the same time at the end of it it's still hopeful and optimistic just like the movie it's so peaceful and serene and when you listen to it you're just like yeah let's go do something let's let's go conquer something let's not go to prison and if we do let's go to prison with morgan freeman <laughs> but it, it, I, I can totally see it. It does make me feel like there's a bigger world out there than than what's in my four walls. And I love. I maybe it's just because I love Shawshank Redemption, but the music always will get to me, especially the music for the end titles. That just oh, that's my yeah. go-to. Of if I'm ever stressed out or just angry, I'll put on end titles from Shawshank Redemption, and I'm. It's like the sun's getting real low. From Age of Ultron. That, that'll that just calm me right down. I'll be like, yep. Yeah. All right. I'm fine. Shawshank does the trick. Shawshank is beautiful. All hail the Shawshank score. 
And again, <laughs> Thomas Newman, just like the same dude that did Finding Nemo and Saving Mr. Banks. You got to do what you got to do, which is funny because uh, Saving Mr. Banks was, a, was an okay movie. But how good was the music for it? Yeah, precisely. Especially when she's watching the movie and she's in the theater. The music for that scene, nope, 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 nope. Absolutely. Well, what are your guys' favorite movie scores? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And just a heads up, for the next couple of weeks, we kind of mapped out our road to Endgame. So next week is WrestleMania. So we'll have some form of a WWE or wrestling-themed episode. And then every week after that, we will have some form of a Marvel themed episode leading up to one of the biggest movies of all time avengers endgame we want to get ready for endgame we want to help you guys get ready for endgame so yeah come come join us on the road to the endgame and as always if you like what you hear and you want to hear more subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on or find us on the main uncharted media youtube channel and as always stay sharp movie guys and gals